Rick Ware Racing is going to be competitive in 2022. They're going to be a top 10 team. They might get a win. I say it every week. People are stupid. Stacking Dannys, it is playoff, the eighth round of eight in the playoffs. We are done with the Charlotte Roval, and I'll tell you what, that race turned a lot more dramatic than even we expected. Um, Jordan McAbee, FantasyRacingOnline.com, my co-host Nick Giffen, a.k.a. Rotodoc of Fantasy Labs. Nick, we got to start off talking about this Harvick-Chase Elliott feud because this is the big topic this week. So Harvick, I thought, did a very good job of getting Chase back. He made it seem like I could make an argument that he did not turn and wreck Chase Elliott on purpose. We all know he did. He didn't own up to it in his post-race interview, which we all know I've, I've talked about before. I fucking hate that. Chase Elliott also came back with a very vanilla response and didn't want to instigate it further, which makes sense. Harvick's eliminated from the playoffs. Chase Elliott is still in it. Do you think this feud is over? And do you think Kevin Harvick wrecked Elliott on purpose, which I'm pretty sure I already know the answer. But do you think the feud is over? Yeah, I think the feud should be over. Um, Harvick obviously wrecked Elliott on purpose. I know, and I 100% agree with you. He... You know, he made it look like he got in the corner a little hot and just got into the rear bumper of Chase Elliott and, you know, like made it look enough like an accident. It certainly wasn't like, you know, Kenseth payback on uh, on Logano there where Kenseth just blatantly took out Logano, which I still loved, by the way, my favorite moment maybe of all time in NASCAR. Uh, but uh, that that aside, um, you know, Kevin Harvick definitely got into Chase Elliott on purpose. That should have been his payback. He got what he wanted. He got his payback on Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott, all he did was hold up Harvick. Harvick actually put Chase into the wall, caused him severe damage, and caused him to potentially, obviously didn't, but potentially miss out on the playoffs. Harvick has no more beef here. He got his payback. Chase Elliott doesn't need to retaliate anymore. Chase Elliott moved on to the round of eight. Harvick is out. So I don't see anything from Chase Elliott's end. Harvick... Maybe he makes life difficult on Chase, you know, in terms of racing him hard, but there won't be any intentional contact, I don't think, or even any accidental, you know, air quote, accidental contact that's probably intentional. Uh, I think this should be over. That doesn't mean it is, but it should be over, uh, and, I, and I think it will be over. I mean, in the end, Harvick embarrassed himself. <laughs> you know, it was uh, Chase Elliott coming up behind Kevin Harvick, who, you know, I'm sure Chase Elliott was thinking about repayback, but uh, Harvick obviously saw Chase Elliott in his mirror, got into the corner too deep, got on the brakes too late, locked him up straight into the wall. So, um, you know, that one's on Kevin Harvick. In the end, he just ended up looking kind of kind of silly, kind of dumb. He, I mean, it looked so good, the, the, the way Harvick gave payback on Chase Elliott, because it was subtle enough. Obviously, it was intentional, but it was subtle enough that it, you could make an argument it wasn't. And in the end, he has the egg on his face for just, you know, letting Chase Elliott, you know, kind of creep up on him. And uh, not, I mean, not Chase Elliott creeping up on him isn't his fault, but the fact that Chase Elliott 
you know, was behind him. He he was driving in his mirrors and he missed his braking spot and uh, just slammed the wall. So should be done. Is it done? I don't know, but I think probably it will be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both know Chase Elliott's not going to go after Harvick or anything. Um, you know, the 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 Christmas comment by him was pretty good. I'll give him that. Like I said, I didn't like the post race interview at all. He, it, like I I couldn't have I couldn't have responded that way. I didn't like Harvick's post race interview. But from Harvick's post-race interview, to me, it didn't seem like he was done with it. But I think that's him just playing mind games with Chase. You know, if if Chase sees that and, you know, Harvick acts like he's still going to go out there and, and potentially hold him up, um, you know, that's going to be in Chase Elliott's mind. But, yeah, I, I, it's very hard for me to see that uh, that Kevin Harvick does anything again in, these, in the rest of these playoffs. Um, as we said, though, so we are down to eight. We have, unfortunately, Byron, who was your surprise pick for the final four, got eliminated. Um, he should have won that race. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So Byron was eliminated. Uh, Bowman was eliminated. Kevin Harvick was eliminated. And who am I missing? Christopher, Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell, yeah. Yeah, Christopher Bell was eliminated. So we have all three Penske drivers advancing to the round of eight. Two Hendrick drivers with Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson. And then Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch for Joe Gibbs Racing. This is setting up to be a very good round of eight. We'll get to that in a little bit. But um, going back to William Byron, who, like I said, was you pre- you predicted him to be in the final four at the end of the year when when we did that podcast a few weeks ago. Um, he was going. I think he was going to win that race. That brings up another point, though, with Chase Elliott, is you know his his rear the the. What completely changed the projection of that race was the caution for Elliott's bumper falling off. Precedent has been set that NASCAR black flags a car if they have a part hanging off like that, if they have their rear bumper hanging off like that. They've done it in the past. They didn't do it this time, which doesn't help the whole narrative of people saying that Chase Elliott's the golden boy and they give him any break they can. Do you think that that, that he should have been black flagged during that or were you okay with that caution happening the way it did i i it's it's a little bit of both i it's i don't think it's a great answer for me but it's a little bit of both by the rule that rear bumper piece is not an essential part which is what bob pockers tweeted out he even tweeted out the rule specific rule that says that so i understand nascar not throwing the black flag there because if it's not an essential part then why do you need to come in to get it fixed? Now, I also understand the argument, well, what if it falls off, then it creates a caution. Well, that happened. I mean, parts fall off of cars that aren't even uh, looking like they're flapping in the wind and cause a caution. So you can't, you know, decide black flags for everybody. You know, I mean, I do think you need to decide black flags for everybody if if there's something that obvious or no black flags. But in this particular case, it is because it was on a road course is the rule that uh, if the bumper cover is non-essential, which it's not at a road course, uh, then you don't black flag them. Then apply that to everybody. So I would say NASCAR was completely consistent because there was a thread of like times where they did black flag people and it was typically all at super speedways. There was one instance at Martinsville where Eric Jones had a very similar situation and they did black flag Eric Jones and that's the inconsistency that makes me mad I don't know the exact rule 
for Martinsville if it's the same as a road course, uh, or if it's just all ovals, you have to have the bumper cover, you know, the rear bumper secured or whatever. Um, so I don't know if that's actually consistent or not in their Martinsville ruling with Eric Jones. But if if the ruling at Mar- if is for Martinsville is it's not an essential piece, then NASCAR is inconsistent. And if the ruling is or if it, the ruling is it is an essential piece, then that's fine. But it seems kind of silly to have it be an essential piece at Martinsville. So I don't know the ruling, but either way, that part gets me with NASCAR is it's either inconsistent or it's a really dumb rule at Martinsville that they made. So, um, you know, I'm okay with it by the rule, but I'm not okay with, you know, the fact that it seems to be inconsistent or the rule at Martinsville seems to be really dumb. Yeah, it's, it comes down like like we've talked about several times. It's it's inconsistencies with NASCAR, and, and my big thing is, and obviously we don't know. We're typing, talking hypothetical now, but if that's a non playoff driver, do they get black flagged? And I think they do. And not to say that NASCAR does stuff on purpose to cause drama, especially in the playoffs. But every single time something questionable like this happens. It seems to cause drama, and I don't like that. I, um, it's it, like like you said, the rule is, and and I'm sure the rule is is vague enough, just like all their other rules that you could make a case for it either way. But my problem is, if that's not a playoff driver, I don't think that they go on without getting black flagged. Um, you know, if that's Eric Jones or Chase Briscoe or someone, I think they get black flagged immediately, and and that's where I have issue with it. Um. But yeah, I, if I was, you know, if I was William Byron or someone, I'd be, I'd be pretty irritated about that. Yeah. Well, and speaking of Byron being irritated, uh, Tyler Reddick getting into the back of him while Byron was in the lead or going for the lead. I can't remember the exact, uh, if, if he was in front of, uh, no, cause Kyle Larson was also behind him. So Byron was in the lead, I think. And, uh, Reddick gets into the back of him going into one of the corners and gets Byron all squarely makes Byron cut the chicane, which wasn't his fault. So Byron then has to stop so he can serve his, if you cut the chicane, you have to come to a complete stop penalty. Mm. And that really screws over Byron's day as well. So you saw, mm. I don't know if you saw the the pit road conversation afterward. Now, obviously Reddick owned up to it, was apologetic. And I do think Reddick is pretty stand up in that regard, but uh, that certainly hurt Byron's day as well. What I want to point out, and I'm relating this, so, uh, you know, kind of tangential, but it's related William Byron, um, you know, almost won that race, and he had to win that race. But think about what happened to him in this round of 12. The terrible, terrible pit strategy at Las Vegas by his crew chief and all the Hendrick crew chiefs. Then blowing a tire or, you know, puncturing a tire uh, late in the race in that same race causes him to get an 18th place finish when he was the fastest car on the track that whole day at Las Vegas. 36th place at Talladega, not his fault, obviously. Uh, and then 11th at Charlotte when he potentially could have won the race. That He just was screwed. I still like my pick for Byron to have gotten to the Final Four. He just got screwed this whole round. I mean, he was top three in average green flag speed in this race. I can't remember if it was first, second, or third, but he was right up there. He was third in uh, average green flag speed um, in in this past race at Charlotte, he was first at Las Vegas. And of course, Talladega is Talladega. He probably would have been uh, in contention for the win if he hadn't gotten caught up in, in anything like 
a lot of people would have been. But uh, this kind of relates to another point. Alex Bowman, same thing. Las Vegas caught out on that pit strategy, punctured a tire, caught up in a wreck at Talladega, and then just a, a mediocre Charlotte race. And they had the, the battery and the voltage issues as well, kind of like Kyle Larson did. So mm-hmm. my, my bigger point, and I don't know if we talked about this. Uh, I don't think we did, but should Talladega be a playoff race? I mean, we talked about this. A, already it doesn't have lights. B, um, you know, obviously they should start it sooner if, if, if it doesn't have lights. And C, just the randomness of Talladega. The two drivers in this round that uh, got caught up, sorry, the three drivers in this round that got up, caught up at Talladega were William Byron, Alex Bowman, and Kyle Larson. Larson advanced only because, I mean, A, he won at Charlotte, but B, had he not won at Charlotte, it still may have been kind of close had he, you know, had the voltage issues occurred and they weren't able to get it all fixed. Kyle Larson might have been on the outside looking in after this Charlotte round uh, because of a bad race at Talladega and also getting caught up in the bad Hendrick Pitt strategy at Las Vegas. Should Talladega be a a playoff race? Should it be in the round of 12? I personally don't mind it being a playoff race, A, if it has lights, and B, if it was in the round of 16 because one problem, well, A, a a lot of more drivers are are eligible to have problems. There's 16 that could have a problem at Talladega. uh, And B, you know, you have some really bad cars and drivers that make the playoffs sometimes like Michael McDowell, uh, Eric Almarola. Maybe you could argue, you know, Tyler Reddick, Kurt Busch, Chris Rebell would have been on the back portion of that as well. So it allows you to overcome one bigger, one big problem as well, a lot easier in the round of 16 than the round of 12. But I'm just curious your thoughts on that because, you know, William Byron basically was just snake bit on luck in this whole round uh, and that's why he didn't advance out of the round of 12. Not because the team was bad, or not because he was bad, but, but probably a little bit because the team was bad, and then also just bad luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, it's it'd be even worse if it took out a guy like Larson, which there was a time there during the Charlotte Roval that they could, he could have dropped out. Uh, I know I hate points as they run, but it was at the beginning. Like I'm not going to give it any credit. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, um, so I don't mind Talladega being a playoff race because historically, you know, before this season, it it's always been four super speedway races out of the 36. That equates to about 11%. Playoff races are 10 races. Give give Talladega one race or Daytona. I don't care. Whatever. Um, I am with you, though, that it needs to be in the round of 16. And I also think I hate the how the round of 12 sets up because you have a mile and a half, a road course, and a super speedway. I don't think the road course and the super speedway should be together. There's Especially with how things have played out this year. There's, you have two random races back-to-back. I understand why they don't put it in the round of 16 because ha- they want the drama for Daytona getting people into it. But... Um, but yeah, I, I think it definitely, I think Daytona or Talladega should be a playoff race. I'm with you. I think it needs to be in the first round. And I'd, I'd like it if it was like, so like that now this third round, we get two mile and a half and a short track. Yeah. How do you go from round to tw- like, that's what I just don't like. But. And and no mile and a half in the opening round, right? Like, right. <laughs> it would be nice it's, if there was like in the opening round, let's say it was like, you know, a mile and a half. Now. Obviously, we can't because Darlington 
Labor Day weekend, the opening playoff race makes sense. Then maybe I think you should throw Talladega in there second. Uh, you don't want Talladega to be an elimination race. We saw that with Kevin Harvick a few years ago, uh, manipulating almost the, the outcome of the race by intentionally wrecking Trevor Bain into the whole field on a restart when he had, you know, uh, he was down a cylinder or whatever. Uh, so, you know, it'd be nice. If it was like Darlington, Talladega, and then um, whatever track. It could be Richmond. It could be Bristol. It could be a mile and a half. I know Darlington isn't quite a mile and a half, but it kind of races like one, even though now it's a 750. Uh, but I do think Talladega should be in the round of 16, not the round of 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know people can't see us, but you see me kind of looking down at my phone. Top 20 odds just came out for um, Texas. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, shout out DraftKings Sportsbook because they're absolute garbage this week. But, um, <laughs> anyway, um, so going back to William Byron, almost winning that race, getting screwed in that round, that actually brings up a point that I want to talk about. And it's a DM that I got, um, I think, on Saturday or Sunday from Sean Trailer. So shout out to him for, for sending in this question. He said, I was wondering if you guys could discuss d- handicapping non-playoff drivers, someone like Byron at Texas, if it changes anything at all. I'm going to let you lead off with this one on if it changes your mind on, on whether Byron could win this race or not. Um, and, and overall playoff drivers winning race, non-playoff drivers winning races, especially as the playoffs progress. I mean, it happens. It's certainly non-playoff drivers can win races. We saw it last year with Kyle Busch. Some people say, Oh, it was a few mileage race, but Kyle Busch was the fastest car on the long run in that race. And it wasn't mm-hmm. particularly close. He was actually really slow on the short run, but super fast on the long run. He led five times for 90 laps. He won stage two. It wasn't like he fluked that win or he only won because of fuel strategy. He was one of the best cars that day. It happened last year with Kyle Busch. It's happened before. And if it's going to happen again, it seems like William Byron has kicked ass on this tire combination. Fastest laps at Michigan. Best car at Las Vegas. I mean, this dude is just killing it on this tire combination. Uh, I think it certainly could happen. What I will say is, I think, um, you know, the, the price we're seeing, 16-1 on DraftKings, 19-1 on FanDuel. I think earlier somebody tweeted out 20-1 to on points bet mm-hmm. uh, for Byron. I think people are, you know, the books are pricing in the fact that he's, uh, you know, not a playoff driver, which is creating those long odds. But I think... Even then, you know, let's say he was still a playoff driver. Maybe he's 12 or 14 to one. Even then, I still think that's too long. I mean, I got him at 14 to one at Vegas, I think it was. And, uh, you know, he, sh- he should have won that race or, you know, could have won that race without all the bad luck, terrible strategy. He was the best car. Um, so, you know, I think he probably should be something like seven or eight to one, like around that Kyle Bush area around that Denny Hamlin area. He probably should be one of the favorites to win this race. Aside from obviously Kyle Larson, uh, he should be in that second tier of favorites if he was still alive. So I don't think 18 to one reflects his non-playoff odds. Maybe that should be more like, you know, if he was seven or eight to one, now he should be like 12 or 14 to one, but instead mm-hmm. we're seeing 16, 18, 19, 20 to one on William Byron. Um, and you know, non-playoff drivers do win races. It, it, it happens. And also drivers that have been eliminated do win races. It happens. It's not a lot because the reason 
the top eight are the top eight is because they're typically the ones who've been better throughout the year. Now, in the case of Keselowski, no, I don't think that's the case. He kind of hung on by a thread here. I mean, he hasn't had any great playoff results other than Talladega. Um, Joey Logano has only had Richmond and Talladega as decent results. I mean, other than that, he's been seventh or eighth place car. Uh, you know, I think William Byron is better than both of those guys, especially in the mile and a half package this year. Uh, it really comes down to Hendrick and Joe Gibbs for me at these, at these, uh, mile and a half, especially the low wear mile and a half, because they've just been the two best teams all year. You can kind of factor in a little bit of Ryan Blaney as well. Um, I think he's been very good at these mile and a halfs. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's, let's say it's Gibbs, Hendrick and Ryan Blaney at these mile and a half. So that's what you're going to get. And well, uh, William Byron falls into that category, uh, in terms of Texas and, and we'll probably see similar at Kansas as well. So, you know, I, I think the market's over adjusting for this and fast cars are still fast cars. I will say, I do think there is some merit to the theory that, you know, more focus will be paid on the five and the nine in the Hendrick camp. Maybe if William Byron's up there racing Kyle Larson, he won't race him as hard, that kind of stuff. But usually you don't do that with teammates anyway. You don't race them super hard. Maybe, uh, you know, in the regular season, if you're both already locked in the playoffs, you can have a fun battle. But you're not going to, like, push your teammate around in a mile-and-a-half track. Uh, but maybe you cut him some extra slack here. Maybe you don't try super hard to pass them. Uh, but if you're mm-hmm. in front, you're not going to just let Kyle Larson by. Um, I don't think that's going to happen either. But So I do think there's some merit to moving him. Byron from what I think should be seven or eight to one to like 12 to 14 to one. But the odds we're seeing now are still way too long on William Byron. Yeah. And you know, I have no problem, especially when we get into this round, because we've eliminated a lot of very good racers by now. There's, you know, you could make an argument that Logano and Kez don't Keselowski don't belong in this round of eight, maybe even Ryan Blaney. Although, you know, I, I am liking Blaney more and more. But the fact of the matter is William Byron, like you said, is super fast. He has the um, top five average running position on low wear tracks this year. In the 550 package, he's right there, average running position with Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin, which is, that's, you know, that's top tier. I don't mind betting him at 18, 19, 20 to one. Those, that's great value. I've already done it. What I really like with this situation, though, are what his top five, top 10 odds are going to translate to. That's where you're really going to want to hammer those bets because he is still a top five car. He's great on this tire combination. So if I'm hammering anything this week, it's not going to be Byron winning outright. I'm going to have some bets on there. I'm hitting those top fives, top tens, because if we've noticed anything, that's where the value is really going to be. Hell, last weekend, Joey Logano was at minus 110 for a top 10, which was an absolute smash for me. It like you just don't pass that up. You know, my algorithm had him projected second, so I was going to hit that. But yeah, we still know who these fast cars are. We don't see the non-playoff drivers really back off a ton until we get to Phoenix. I would never bet a non-playoff driver to win at Phoenix, but I'll still bet non-playoff drivers to win at Texas, at Kansas, at Martin, maybe not even Martinsville. We'll see. But um, but yeah, I have no problem betting Byron this week. I have no problem betting. He's probably my own. Would you bet any other non-playoff driver or not? He's probably my only non-playoff driver this Byron's, week. Byron's I, your only non-playoff driver? Yeah. Yeah, I, probably 
I think you're right. Probably only Byron. If we look at mile and a half this year, Byron's only had one finish outside of the top 10. And that was the second Atlanta race where we know Hendrick was toying around because they mm-hmm. completely crushed that first Atlanta race. Um, at the low wear mile and a half, he's finished top 10 in every single one. Uh, until, I should say, this Las Vegas race where they had terrible strategy, but he was the fastest car on the track. So I love what you're getting at here. Byron top 10, minus 175 right now. I think that's he should be right up there with, like I said, uh, Truex, Kyle Busch. You know, Truex is minus 320. Kyle Busch is minus 400. Denny Hamlin minus 500. Uh, I think Byron should be in that range for a top 10. Now, maybe you discount it a little bit, and he should be more in maybe the Blaney Logano area, but that's then you're talking minus 230, minus 320. You know, uh, that's still a huge value when he's minus 175. Uh, if and this is at DraftKings right now. Top five, mm-hmm. Byron is plus 200. Blaney is plus 110. Truex plus 110. Logano plus 140. Byron should be in that range, you know? Um, at least, at least. If not, better. So I love what you're getting at here with Byron. Top five, top 10. Because, like you said, the you know, maybe there is more focus on Larson and Elliott. Probably is. Maybe Byron cuts them a little bit of slack. But... He's still going to be really damn good at this race on this tire combination. Uh, So I love what you're getting at here. I can't wait till more books come out with especially top five and tens uh, because right now he's still 19 to one on FanDuel. William Byron, what does that equate to in terms of a top 20 bet, you know, or a top 10 bet, I should say, or top five bet. Uh, I'm, I'm super curious on those. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's, it's pretty much a, uh, a slam dunk for you know Byron right now in terms of these odds, uh, in terms of how they translate into a top five or into a top ten. And and you're right, he's the maybe maybe Bowman. Uh, maybe I would consider Bowman as well, mm-hmm. just because Hendrick is so good at these these tracks right now. The uh, the mile and a half, five fifty horsepower. Logano Keselowski, not so much. They haven't been super amazing on these mile and a halfs. Um, if we go back to Las Vegas, Kozlowski finished seventh. Logano finished 11th. Uh, and that was with Hendrick having all sorts of issues. You know, Kyle Larson finished 10th when he probably was the second best car. Byron uh, was the best car, finished 18th. Bowman probably was faster than both of them and finished 22nd with the similar issues that happened to William, By- William Byron. So mm. I am really down on Logano and Keselowski uh, for this round. And I, I think, you know, just the issues that happened to Hendrick at Las Vegas with the bad strategy and some tire punctures, you know, I mean, if they have good strategy and no tire punctures, I think all of Hendrick finishes top 10. Yeah. um, And you brought up a good point about Logano. He's been, he hasn't been bad at 550 package. He's been awful this year. Like that team just, it's kind of like that team just doesn't know how to run the 550 package. And the first two races are in this 550 package. He's starting out this round 11 points below the cut line. He's, I can, I'll say it right now, he's going to be in a must win situation at Martinsville. I can almost guarantee it. Uh, not that he can't get that done, but yeah, I'm with you there. Legato and Kez are going to struggle a bit. These Kezlowski has had some good runs on low wear tracks this year, but Legato um, definitely, mm-hmm. you know, just struggling mm-hmm. um but yeah so byron i have no problem betting like i said all around um i'm not with you there on alex bowman because he is dead to me 
And speaking, <laughs> that's fair. Speaking of dead to me, Brad Keselowski is now dead to me on, uh, in addition to being dead to you. So I, I had a lot of fun with my bets last week. Um, I did, I did, I really liked that Penske parlay that DraftKings offered. It was 16 to 1 for them all to finish top 10. I was really solid with Blaney. I was really solid with Logano. The weakest link was Keselowski. I was like, just make it close. And then he started points racing at the end, and I'm like, this this has no chance. But I uh, I had parlays. So I took that parlay and parlayed it with, like, the Bills money line on Sunday night and the Bills money line and the Colts plus seven and a half. Like, I had some great parlays that paid out, like, huge amounts if only Keselowski could have finished top 10. So I'm curious how he would have finished if he hadn't spun out twice. Uh, obviously, he was still points racing, but uh, I'm curious how he would have finished if he hadn't spun out twice. Um, we yeah. had that. A lot of people had that Keselowski versus Briscoe bet. And, mm-hmm. you know, Briscoe spun out once. He got Stenhoused. He had a penalty. And Keselowski spun out twice. I think the first one he got some help, but it, it was hard to tell from the replays. He may or may not have gotten help. The second one, he kind of got caught in a three-wide situation. wasn't really his his fault there. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, Keselowski 16th place average green flag speed. Chase Briscoe 22nd place average green flag speed. Um, I warned y'all on that Keselowski versus Briscoe bet. I just didn't see the value there. I do think Briscoe, now both of our models had Keselowski over Briscoe and, you know, even going against our model, I think Briscoe should have been a slight favorite against Keselowski, but that's exactly what he was in the market. He was either minus 110, minus 115, minus 120, minus 135. He was a super slight favorite. So there's no value there. I just was not on that. I really liked how PJ Walsh approached it. Chase Briscoe top forward plus 750. That's mm. where, like, if you love a driver like Chase Briscoe, but there's a lot of uncertainty around him because he doesn't have as much of a cup career. He's in a Stuart Haas car, which hasn't been as amazing this year. He's shown some flashes. There's a wide range of outcomes there. What you want to do is you want to take a longer bet rather than a bet that has smaller edge, like a head-to-head. You want to you want to embrace that variance and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, take something like a plus 750 for a top forward. I think that's absolutely the way to go. I right off the bat, people were tweeting and I saw at least four people tweeting about Briscoe over Keselowski. And that's why I had to talk about it on stacking Denny's. Um, I just, I didn't see the value there and clearly it wasn't there. Keselowski at, at worst was pretty much equal to chase Briscoe. So if you're betting a minus minus one ten, and both of these guys are 50, 50, that's not a good bet because you're going to lose money in the long run. You're, you're paying the rake there essentially. So um, yeah, it was just, it was just one of those things I noticed, but Keselowski, you know, was dead to me a few weeks ago. Um, I will say your point about Keselowski being better than Logano, uh, especially at the lower five fifties is true this year at every single, all five, five fifties with low wear on either mile and a half or two mile ovals. So the intermediate five mm-hmm. fifties low wear Keselowski has beaten Logano. Yeah, so if you see a a Logano versus Keselowski, which we've seen in the past, if you see that head to head, definitely hit Lega- or Keselowski there. I, I agree um, with that. Yeah, so I know we talked about that that Briscoe Kez head to head on the episode last week. It actually, it, it, I didn't even bet it because 
like you said, both our models had Kez over him, and I just couldn't. I was with you. I wasn't on the value. I know a lot of people did bet it, and it was you. You were hoping for the shittiest, like the the better shittier outcome. Like, the, but neither of them had a good race. So, um, I I do need to talk about you know. I don't know why this happens, but it's happened quite a few times. So my favorite bets last week were Chris Buescher top 20 finish and Tyler Reddick top 20 finish. And then they go out there and (laughs) run top five. What is that? Like, I just, I don't know. I, I do love this. Like I said, I love the top 20 bets. I hate the top 20 bets this week for, for sir. They didn't run top five. They ran second and third at the end of the race. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Gosh. And uh, what's funny is, you know, Brandon and I did a live stream before the before Locke to talk about the race, and he was talking about Chris Buescher a lot. And I was like, I love Chris Buescher on road courses. I love him for a top 20 finish. I couldn't get there in DFS. And, of course, end up – he finished his third. I think everyone was on Tyler Reddick. Should have been anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, he started 29th. Same with Benedetto. Um, so shout out to Brandon for, for that Chris Busher call. But, um, that brings up my point uh, or one point I really want to talk about that got me irritated over the weekend. Surprise, surprise. I was irritated about something. Um, and that's just touts in general. Um, I saw a lot of people in the NASCAR fancy NASCAR industry talking themselves up after picking Almondinger and the Xfinity race on Saturday please don't do that. Like that the quickest way for me to not respect you anymore is to say how great you are for calling AJ fucking Almendinger at a goddamn road course starting 14th. That is the most common sense play. Tell me what you did with the rest of your lineup to take down a tournament with Almendinger because Almendinger was the play in the Xfinity race. You had to get that out there. I, I hate, people that do that it's it another one is another one is um that i like to and the reason i we talked about this last week was you know i did point out bubba wallace was first in my model for talladega but i wasn't touting like i picked bubba wallace to win you know i was more just saying like there was value in bubba wallace because my model liked him and if you ran the race over a gazillion times his outcome was really good in my model. So I liked betting on him at 32 to one, but it wasn't like I picked both because you're really it's roulette at, you know, at Talladega, but it's roulette in like the fact that like uh, you don't know who's going to caught up in a wreck, but you can still find value at Talladega. You can still find DFS value. As we talked about, like 26% of people play Denny Hamlin uh, who started Mm. on the pole, which is stupid. So the value there is fading Denny Hamlin, but like, that's also obvious value, but it's so obvious value that still 26% of people played it and didn't get that obvious value. But like, I would never be like, Oh, I nailed don't, you know, Denny Hamlin wasn't in the winning lineup because well, there's a 96% chance of him not being in the winning lineup according to my model. Right. So like, there's no point in touting that. Just like you said, there's no point in touting AJ Allmendinger at well, uh, you know, a road course or something like that. Um, I think it's uh, it's just it's frustrating because some of the obvious things that that's like um, you know a couple years ago when I qualified for the DraftKings main event, uh, what I did was 
you know, Kyle Larson started like 37th or something at the Coca-Cola 600, I think it was. And I faded him. Now, I was touting that because he was 90, 88, 89, 90% played in the high stakes. And so everybody was on him. And I was like, well, if everybody's going to be on him, I'm going to be one of like two lineups that fades him because it was a higher dollar contest. That is a smart play because that goes against the grain of what everybody else was doing. Uh, mm. So I think that's a good way to tout something. You know, uh, I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously with, uh, with, with Byron winning at Las Vegas or not winning, but being the fastest car at Las Vegas, I touted that, but and I was, you know, pointing out how he was the best car, but, that's the thing, like something like Las Vegas, there's so many more cars that can win, um, or at least it's less obvious who who like the completely dominant cars are going to be. I mean, because it could have been Larson, Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Truex. You know, I, I was even talking before the race how I was excited about Las Vegas because I thought a lot of drivers had a chance. You know, Blaney's been good there. You could have made a case for any of the Hendrick drivers, pretty much three of the four Gibbs drivers. Uh, like I said, Blaney. Uh, so I thought it was going to be a really exciting race because I thought there was eight or nine cars in contention for the win at least in terms of you could make an argument for them being uh in in there but my model had byron as the first in average finish and had kyle larson as the highest in upside finish and well they were ended up being the two fastest so um it's i agree with you i also understand you know wanting to put out like i won or i had a good day but you're right do it on the rest of your lineup do it on the less obvious calls uh and that's where it really kind of comes into play. Um, I think we've all done it. I, I can't say I've never, you know, bit touted a, an obvious play. I, I, maybe you have too, but um, it, it, it's one of those like things where like, if you constantly do it, then it's really annoying. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe my mind's just different, but like, like the Charlotte Roval race this last weekend, I, I hated talking about lineup construction and I hated even writing up in my DraftKings article, like my cash core, because it was so obvious Reddick De Benedetto and Almendinger. That's, that's just where everybody was going to land. I know I mentioned in my video that there was definite, like, I don't like play, paying up for place differential. So I thought it would be nice to be underweight on Almendinger. Plus my optimal lineup said, go with Chase Elliott and Larson instead of Almendinger. Um, but I had a good DFS week at Roval. I've now had a great DFS month. I've profited over $15,000 in the last month in DFS, but I'm not going to sit here and boast about my day too much at the Charlotte Roval because all it was, was basically common sense picks and not having Almondinger. I, I didn't make a good call on Briscoe. I didn't make a good call. Well, I mean, Larson and Elliott ended up being in a good lineup. And then obviously, you know, Reddick to Benedetto. But I hate weeks where there's that much chalk. I don't even like playing them. I, I literally put in six lineups and I basically just ran my optimal lineup everywhere. And that's what that's what won all these high dollar contests. But I just have such a problem with people that it like Okay, going back to – I'm going to go back to Talladega with this. You and I talked about Anthony Alfredo, Cole Custer. Hey, these are very good plays because nobody's going to be on them. That is acceptable touting. When that 
pays off like it did, I am perfectly fine with saying, yes, we called the 30th place starter, the 28th place starter, and they ended up being the optimal. And people can easily say, well, no shit. They started 30th. Nobody else was on them. That yeah. is the point. AJ Allmendinger was 80 plus percent owned in some of those Xfinity contests. Like, and, and I get it if you show the rest of your lineup, but every single person that was saying, hey, I made a great call with Allmendinger in the Xfinity race was simply saying, oh, I'm a genius because I called Allmendinger. You're not a genius. You're, you're, at this point, you're a fucking fraud because that's all I, that's all I think of you. It's, Maybe I'm too judgmental. Maybe I'm getting too upset about that. But, oh, I hate to see that. It's so dumb. So, rant over there. Going right into another rant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Rick Ware Racing has formed an alliance with Stuart Haas Racing, and it set Twitter ablaze. Suddenly, Rick Ware Racing is going to be competitive in 2022. They're going to be a top 10 team. They might get a win. I say it every week. People are stupid. This, why are people overreacting to this? This is still Rick Ware Racing. You know, who's, you know who has an alliance with Stuart Haas Racing this year? BJ McLeod. He's still a shitbox car. The, there is such a gap between these organizations, between these shit boxes and the back half of the field, not even talking about the leaders. There is such a gap that even forming an alliance. Yes, this is great for Rick Ware Racing. I'm not going to deny that. It's not going to put them into the top 20 by any means. Could it increase their chances on where races get crazy? Yes. Can we fully say like they're not going to get a few top twenties with this new car and, and how it's supposed to, um, you know, equal things out. That's hard to predict. But if this was, if this happened before 2021 and people would still react like this, like, every, like it, this is all dumb. This is so dumb. This is not going to make a difference. It's not going to make a significant difference where all of a sudden the Rick Ware cars are outrunning the Richard Childress racing cars. No, you, you know who else has an Alliance bubble Wallace. 21st in points, Alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing. Matt DiBenedetto, mm-hmm. Alliance with Penske, 19th in points. Uh, Daniel Suarez, Alliance with RCR, 25th in points. Um, Stuart Haas Racing themselves are sitting drivers 28th in points, 23rd in points. And Eric Almarola probably shouldn't even be in the playoffs if he hadn't won New Hampshire. Uh, you know what I mean? Like Kevin Harvick didn't make the round of eight for the first time in his career uh, in this playoff format. It's not like they're aligning themselves with Hendrick Motorsports and Hendrick is going to do all the, you know, making of the cars and everything. You know, it's 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 an alliance and these alliances haven't necessarily paid off for all these teams. Uh, and they're even aligning with the team that obviously has been struggling this year. But, you know, that said, who knows what's going to happen with the the next gen car or whatever. But all it does like I said, with wider range of outcomes when there's more unknowns, is it widens, you know, like in the Chase Briscoe cases or rookies, is it widens the range of outcomes? Maybe now they can pull off, like you said, a, a top 20 when things get crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe they can do a little bit more damage at super speedways, remain on the lead lap there. You know, I think it was Quinn Hoof and, and Balicki or, or somebody who, you know, got top 10s at or 11s or 12s at Talladega or Daytona 
um, these super speedway races, like it gives them a little bit more of a shot to like hang out on the lead lap there, that kind of thing. So yeah, it was Josh Blakey got 10th, uh, BJ McLeod got ninth at, uh, Daytona. And then at mm-hmm. Talladega, uh, oh, it was Anthony Alfredo who pulled off the 10th place. So I mean, that kind of, you know, maybe it puts them up there in the Anthony Alfredo ranks, uh, who, you know, has one top 10 this year, but Rick Ware is not going to win a race in the near future. Sorry to rain on your parade. It's just not going to happen. You know, Joey Hand was in a Rick Ware car aligned with Stuart Haas Racing. And he was terrible this past weekend. Not that he was like like the worst ever. You know, he had the 30th best average green flag speed, which was better than Anthony Alfredo in 31st. And he finished 27th. He still hit the wall at some point. But like, he wasn't anywhere near in contention for a top 20 finish. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it would have taken a massive amount of craziness. And there was some craziness. And he still didn't approach a top 20. So, um, you know, maybe they improve on that slightly. And, and somebody like a Joey Hand could get a, uh, you know, a top 20 at a road course. But that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of the potential improvement here. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you bring up Joey Hand because he ended up being like 12 or 13% owned in DraftKings. And I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why all these people were talking him up because it's still a shitbox car. Yes, he's a good road course racer. Yes, there's that. It's a it's a Stuart Haas car technically. It's it's just a shit Stuart Haas car that they didn't want anymore. But I didn't like. Again, it goes back to I hate touts. If they're touting up Joey Hand, and I got people even even when I tweeted out the stats from that race and how slow he actually was, there were still people that were tweeting like he got up to twenty third at one point. I'm like, go back and watch the race. He got up to twenty third because half the field pitted and he didn't. Right. And then he immediately fell back. And right. then uh, I think someone else tweeted me and was like, well, he was the best of the shit boxes. What does, what does that get? He finished 27th because there were like five good cars that terminally wrecked. And then he was, and then he finished ahead of the shit boxes. That's the, which, which honestly <laughs> it is Ow. a good day for the shit boxes, but it's still a shit box. I mean, he, he gained nine point nine places in place differential. Uh, and you know, so, so in terms of DFS, he didn't ruin your day, uh, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't anything special. Um, you know, I think the ownership percentage made sense to me. I can't remember what my model had. Let me pull it up. Uh, I'm going to pull it up here, but I think my model was almost spot on with Joey hand in terms of his projected ownership. Uh, let me click back to Sunday here and click on Rotodoc. Joey Hand, uh, for some reason his ownership isn't showing up there, but uh, there may have been um, there may have been an issue. I think I have it in my spreadsheet here. I'm pretty sure that you and you and Stevie both had him projected at like 11, 12 percent. Oh, I know what's going on. It's because it's updated for the next race, so it somehow deleted his. But I have it in my spreadsheet here. I had Joey Hand projected at I had him actually I had him projected at twenty seven percent ownership. Is that right? No. Yeah, it is right. Hmm. For some reason, I thought you were at like twelve percent, but yeah, I not. I thought I was too. He was I I had him at sixteen percent to be in the optimal lineup. Um, he was $6,200. So, you know, it wasn't exactly a, an amazing, uh, amazing day, 
Uh, my model gave him a, like a 26.6 average finish, 26, so pretty much spot on, uh, which means he would have gotten around 25 DraftKings points. So he probably had around 25 DK points for a 6.2 value, uh, you know, price tag, 6.2K price tag. So uh, I don't know what his exact finishing DraftKings points were, but it was around 4X value. I don't mind if your lower price drivers hit 4X value, if they allow your really expensive drivers to claim a lot of points. But the problem with the road course is you're not getting a ton of points with your really expensive drivers because there aren't that many laps to lead. And there's usually more randomness in terms of who leads laps and pit strategies and things like that. So at a road course, you really want somebody like a Joey Hand to hit at least 5X value. He didn't here. Now, had more craziness happened, had... Maybe they found a little bit more speed in there. There was definitely some potential for upside. So I don't think my model was too far off, but I think it was a little too generous here with Joey Hand. Um, but, you know, that's part of the unknowns is you're, you're getting a driver who's making his first career Cup Series start in a bad car with an alliance with a good, te- you know, a mediocre, a better side of mediocre team, let's say, in Stuart Haas Racing this year. How do you how do you model that? And uh, it's, yeah. it's pretty tough to model. Yeah. And and the biggest the biggest thing with that was um, just overall lineup construction in that race. You know they under they had they had the Benedetto and Reddick priced under eight thousand. Like I could definitely see if they would have priced up those place differential plays um, as where they should have been, then going with a punt like Joey Hand would make sense. But you know right. even then you know we had Cole Custer, we had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. We had uh, Corey LaJoy underpriced under Joey Hand. So, mm-hmm. but you know, it, I could I could see a reason to take Joey Hand if the prices were different. But with how how lineups were, and like I said, I made I literally made six lineups, so I didn't have any Joey Hand because um, right, I just I didn't see the value there. But um, going back to speed before we go on to the next topic here, if you don't follow, I I hope I pronounce this name right, Deandra. Dr. Deandra, oh, yeah. Deandra. Of, of, bu- yeah. of building speed. Yep. She did a very nice. I love this. Fo- like this is one of my favorite follows right now. She puts out a ton of good stuff. Yeah. She, but, I've listened to her a lot on uh Sirius XM NASCAR radio over the years. She's always coming on with good stuff. I followed her for about pretty much the whole time I've been doing NASCAR DFS, uh, you know, since 2015, I think I've been following her. Yeah. I, I think I just found her this year, but she did average and fastest lap times from the charlotte roval and this is a very good visual representation of how far off these shitbox drivers are compared to the speed of the of the top and the mid-tier teams they're just so far off and i i'd love to see this chart for every single race because you know even i'd love to see the chart for timmy hill and david Starr are in this week's race at texas this is embarrassing because we, you know, one of like chances are David Starr is going to cause an issue with a t- with a top driver this week because he's going to be 15 miles an hour off the pace, as is Timmy Hill. Timmy Hill is going to get out of the way because he's actually a respectful driver. David Starr, I could see creating issues, but yeah, definitely give her a follow. There's a ton of great info there, and, and I like how she puts everything into sheets, but or not sheets, but graphs. You know, very easily um, consumable visually, but. Um, so round of eight, real quick, like I said, um, Byron was your sleeper pick for the final four before the playoffs started. So you still have Kyle Larson, Truex, and Kyle Bush as your other three predicted final four. 
My predicted final four was Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, and Chase Elliott. Are you are you still confident in Larson, Truex, Kyle Busch, and who is your fourth? If those are your other three, now that we're now that we're in the round of eight and things got a lot a bit more clear um, after after that crazy round, it's getting good. These six. Uh, other than Logano and Keselowski are all right there. These are great tracks. All three of these tracks are good for all six of those drivers, Larson, Hamlin, Truex, Blaney, Bush, and Chase Elliott. Uh, so obviously I'm going to stick to my guns with Larson, Truex, and Kyle Busch. I think the low-wear tracks, especially for Kyle Busch, are amazing. I mean, here's his finishes at low-wear one-and-a-halves this year, 3-1, three, 3-3. Three, three. He also won Texas last year, and he finished – uh, I think it was fifth in Kansas in the playoff race last year on this same right side tire. So setting up really well for Kyle Busch. Truex, I think, will be fine. Um, obviously, he has a little bit of a, a points advantage over, um, let's say, Logano and Keselowski. It's pretty tight there with, with Elliott, Kyle Busch, and Blaney. Uh, but, you know, Hamlin's now in the mix, obviously, in, in that now that I have, now, now that Byron's out. And Hamlin's really good at Martinsville. Truex is really good at Martinsville. Blaney's good at Martinsville. Kyle Busch is good at Martinsville. Chase Elliott's good at Martinsville. Larson used to not be good at Martinsville, but he does have a couple good finishes, and he did well this year in the Hendrick car. And Logano and Keselowski are good at Martinsville, so all six of these drivers are good at Martinsville. So that doesn't give a massive edge to Logano or Keselowski sneaking their way in because all of these drivers are good at Martinsville in the top eight here. Um, and it's just going to be, you know, it's going to be tight. Uh, this is going to be an exciting round. Um, Martinsville is going to be crazy, potentially. Uh, and, you know, I think if anybody is going to get in, it's probably going to be Denny Hamlin uh, at this point. I would I would throw him in there just with his Martinsville prowess and the fact that Texas and Kansas should be totally fine tracks for him. Um, so I'm going to take Hamlin over Chase Elliott and then Blaney. Uh, so, so I'm going to say it's still... Larson, Truex, and Kyle Busch. And then I'm going to say uh, Hamlin, Elliot Blaney would be my top six. Mm-hmm. I, uh, You're right. So so Byron and Bowman getting eliminated, that took off. Just those two drivers took out 29 playoff points. So I think, you know, that helped Larson actually because he now has a 42-point advantage over the cut line going into Texas on Sunday. He could the only way I think that he is maybe in an issue of um needing a great or win great run or win at Martinsville is if he has two catastrophic races at Texas and Kansas, which I just don't see happening. So right. Yeah. I uh it's gonna be fun with how tight this points race is because none of these guys can afford to make a mistake. And it's not just not make a mistake. It's not make a minor mistake. It's not a a pit crew being four seconds slow on the stop. That could be the difference between who gets in and who doesn't. Um, I'm sticking with my guns. I'm going Larson Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott. I don't want to jinx my boy, Martin Truex Jr. Um, I do think Blaney could sneak in there, but uh, as far as as far as the guys that are, I think are going to be out. I think it's going to be Logano, Kez, Blaney, and Truex. As much as I hate to say it, but um, but yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, I'm going to say Chase know. Elliott's out and Brian Blaney's out, along with Keselowski and Logano. 
But I could see, honestly, I could see any of those four make it in just because I could see Lugano or Keselowski winning Martinsville, right? Mm. Um, and that's the thing. That's the wild card is Texas and Kansas set up terribly for especially Lugano, uh, but also Keselowski. Mm. He hasn't been great at these you know, mile and a half, uh, certainly better than Logano as we've talked about, but Martinsville is such a good track for both of these drivers uh, that that's their saving grace. That's their ticket in. I expect them to be super aggressive at Martinsville. We've seen Logano be aggressive at Martinsville. He moved Truex out of the way to take the win and get yep. in and get himself into the championship. That was when Martinsville was the first race of the, the, the second to last round. What that allowed him to do was solely focus on the championship race at homestead and guess what he won the championship that year so uh i expect whoever wins texas full focus on phoenix from that point forward um you know they're probably not even going to study kansas they're probably not going to study martinsville they're probably the next two weeks going to pour all of their resources into studying phoenix earlier this year phoenix last year etc uh and and just pouring all their resources into that so that should be interesting um because you know, I, I I certainly think there was merit to the fact that when Logano won Martinsville, it was the first race of that trio. He finished third at Texas, finished 37th at Phoenix and that the rest of that trio, and he won Homestead uh, over, you know, some pretty damn good drivers. So uh, that was that was certainly something. But uh, I think this is a big race for whoever wins it, assuming they're in the you know, in the top eight. It's not Byron who wins it or something like that, because uh you know, then they can really just all eyes on Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the the winner here at at Texas this week is going to have a big advantage for the most part. If it's not Larson, um, and it's not a non playoff driver, the fact that they don't have to worry about all this points racing and and how these races are going to play out because now all of a sudden strategies come into play whether you want to stay out and get stage points or, or anything crazy that can happen like it's literally a nine point gap between the five behind kyle larson kyle larson's the only one that has to feel somewhat confident um it's gonna be it's gonna be very very fun to watch still hate points as they run but um it's gonna be fun to watch points, points as they <laughs> run will only be exciting when we're on the last stint at Martinsville. Yeah. Because that's when it for matters. some reason, <laughs> for some reason, um, points as they run, doesn't take into account assumed stage points, which anyway. Um, so yeah, Texas this week, the title of the race is excessively long. So I have to say it because I hate excessively long races as well. I, I hate a lot of stuff this episode and really every episode, but, Today, especially the Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500. Key note in that title 500. This is a 500 mile race. We're not used to that this year on the mile and a half low wear tracks. So the first Las Vegas race was 400 miles. Obviously, had the Coca Cola 600, which was 600 miles. The Kansas race was 400 miles. And the second Vegas race was 400 miles. I think that makes a difference on Sunday, whether like consciously or not, it's definitely going to have an impact on it. I believe I could be wrong, but I think those that have, and we saw it last year, you mentioned with Kyle Bush, those that have better long run speed, I think it plays off 
into their hands a little bit better than a normal 400 mile mile and a half track now looking at mile and a half this year low wear mile and a half i'm not counting um michigan because it's a two mile track um so the low wear mile and a half those four races i just mentioned best average finish kyle bush at 2.5 over those four races chase elliott 5.5 keselowski at 5.8 denny hamlin at 6.0 now some things to notice here note here is uh Two of those races were in the very early part of the season. Charlotte was in the middle of the season. And then uh, Las, the second Las Vegas race was obviously the playoff race. So um, are you focusing more on the data from Las Vegas and Charlotte than you are from the first Las Vegas and Kansas race? The Sorry, the, the playoff Las Vegas race in Charlotte over the first two races? Or are, do they all have significant not like you you can't really put them over top on the other except for the tire combination yeah i i'm focusing mostly on the tire combination um the right side tires the tire combination right and left a little less on just the solely the left side tires uh also i'm i'm going to actually focus a little more on charlotte the reason being and we've talked about this before of the low wear mile and a half vegas and kansas are on the higher end of that wear (laughs) <laughs> they're more like medium wear tracks um yep. and even charlotte's a little more like medium wear it's really texas that's super low wear because it was only repaved a couple years ago i would be interested to go back and look at kentucky data the only issue is um i think you can only compare within teammates because we've seen penske fall off a cliff on the 550 package this year whereas they were i mean obviously not amazing last year but certainly better last year but i do think you can compare uh, you know, teammates within each other, let's say it like Kansas in the past, or not Kansas, Kentucky in the past couple of years, Kentucky and Texas are very good comps for each other. Problem is we don't have Kentucky anymore. Um, and I do think you can use Michigan just because of the tire combination. So uh, I think, you know, Michigan can come into play. I think uh, Charlotte, maybe more so that, especially than the opening Las Vegas race of the year. Um, but you're still going to use data from all of them. Um, but I think, you know, th- th- there isn't a super amazing comp for texas right now i would just probably lump in all of those mile and a halfs uh that are low wear low to medium wear let's say along with michigan and then comparing teammates to each other at the past years at the past two years at kentucky Mm -hmm. um this is also a 550 horsepower package race which so the 10 races that and I put these charts in my DraftKings article. So the, the 10 races that I'm including in the 550 horsepower data set are Homestead, the two Vegas races, the two Atlanta races, um, Kansas, Charlotte, the two Pocono races, and Michigan. Um, just kind of lumping all 550s together there. It's 10 races. Best average finish. Again, Kyle Busch, 3.7. He has been so good in this package and on the low wear tracks this year that going back to to the betting lines for this race, you can get Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin, by the way, at uh, plus 725 compared to, you know, Larson is like plus 300 at most books. We've talked about it before. We don't like betting the the super short favorites. Who is your favorite bet this week? Um, let's go among the playoff drivers. Yeah, in terms of outrights, uh, I like Kyle Busch at 8-1 to one on FanDuel right now. Um, I Like you said, 
uh, he's crushed at the 550 this year. I mean, obviously Pocono, he finished first and second. So that that's bringing it up a little bit considering it's a two and a half mile flat track. But, you know, even if you throw in Atlanta in there, he, he had two really strong finishes a fifth and a second in Atlanta. Homestead wasn't great for him. 10th place. But I mean, that's his worst finish this year on these 550s that you're talking about. Uh, if that's his absolute worst and that came at a high wear track, uh, I think he's he's going to be just fine. So I really like Kyle Busch defending race winner and remember like i said really good long run speed last year and like you said 500 miles i think that'll play into things really liking kyle bush at eight to one on FanDuel. make sure you shop around you might be able to find them plus 850 plus nine you know 900 at certain places uh i obviously don't have access to every single book at the exact moment you know check bet mgm check caesars uh you know check all these offshore ones um there's there's so many books out there you probably can find a line even better than eight to one for kyle bush so uh you know i'm excited to see when circa comes out with their lines what he's going to be because i do think circa tends to be a little sharper i think kyle bush is going to be something like six or 650 at circa is going to be my guess uh and uh you know i'm I'm very curious to to see what we'll get there with with kyle bush at circa because I do, like I said, I do think they tend to have a little bit sharper lines. Um, but mm. uh, if you can snag Kyle Bush at eight to one or longer, I would do that. Yeah. Um, and the the fun thing this week is basically, I think this race is going to come down to Kyle Larson, Kyle Bush, and um, Denny Hamlin. That's it's hard for me to see that being anybody else contending i could see you know i could see chase elliott winning it but i i like larson kyle bush hamlin a lot more than i like elliott this week blaney could steal it um larson starts first hamlin starts second kyle bush starts third this is going to be it's going to be really interesting on building dfs lineups um because the three best guys are starting one two three and Kyle Larson has a history this year of struggling in the first half of races. So with that being said, though, he still puts up dominator points by the end of it. He's led, you know, in the four low wear mile and a half tracks or races this year, he's led 657 laps in four races. Next best is Denny Hamlin with 194 and then Keselowski with 109. When it comes to fastest laps, Larson, 236 over those four races. William Byron, next best at 120. There's a reason that Kyle Larson is favored, is is the favorite so much this week. Um, And that opens the door to, again, we talk about this. We hate betting these short favorites, but with stats like that at 350, I don't mind if Caesars does another – 100% 100% profit boost or 50% profit boost. I'll gladly use that on Larson, get him to what 525 or, or 700. Yep. Roll with that and then roll with Hamlin and, and Kyle Bush and call it a day. Oh, yeah. And, and those will those will be my outrights. And then, and then I'll, I'll hammer uh, Byron, top five finish, top 10 finish. And that'll mm-hmm. be my betting card. You know, like yeah. I said, top, top 20 lines are absolutely garbage this week. So, one thing I will say, you know, both of us have been really good at the mile and a half this year, the intermediate tracks. My model has been on fire at these because they're incredibly predictable. Uh, 
you know, I love head to heads at mile and a half because you can find value typically and it's very predictable value. Unlike last weekend, and we talked about this many times earlier in the year, road courses have had generally, and obviously you had a good weekend at the road course. We actually, each of us have had two good weekends, the last two road courses. I didn't do any betting this past weekend, but I was pretty happy with uh, how the model turned out and things like that. But I will say, uh, you know, we were like, oh God, road courses have been our worst this year up through like the first three or four of them. And then the last two or three have been really good for us. Uh, I think Indy, we can kind of throw out the window there, but, uh, I think, um, you know, uh, I should at least say Watkins Glen and, uh, this past weekend, I think we're on the better side for us in terms of the road courses, but mile and a half have been super awesome for us this year. And that's because they tend to be more predictable. There's a lot more data around them, which means, the error bars on the model are lower. So when I find value in head to heads, I really like them at mile and a half. So I bet a lot of head to heads at mile and a half. Um, I love betting head to heads in general, because I think often there's a lot of value in head to heads. I tend to like them less at road courses. I actually don't mind them at super speedways. Cause I'll pretty much not always, but if, if you find anybody that's like plus plus one ten or longer, in any head-to-head matchup at a super speedway, it's almost likely to be good value. Uh, but uh, by and large, at like the more predictable tracks, I love betting head-to-heads. Um, and so 100% with you, if you can profit boost Larson uh, up to something longer, Hamlin, Kyle Busch, I still think a salt base sprinkle on Byron at, at 16, mm-hmm. 18, 20 is fine. And then hammer him a little harder on the top five, top 10, like you said. And then just, fill out your card with with top 10 or sorry not, not top 10 uh head to head bets that's what i really like the head to heads have been super good for me this year at the more predictable tracks mm-hmm. and uh you know overall like throughout all these years i've been doing fantasy nascar stuff the second half of the season is always the time that i really start crushing it because because of all the data we actually have from this year and mm-hmm. like you said we've both been on on it with mile and a half this year. And that just makes me even more confident for these final couple mile and a half because I have the data from this year. I can, uh, it's when I've done my best, like historically it happens every single year. It's, it's always, cause I used to play a lot of season long fantasy as opposed to DFS. And it was always a very, very, very good year for me. If I started out good, because the second half of the year, I knew I'd be really good. If I start out slow, then I'd have an okay year. Um, so I definitely like as, as weird as it sounds, I, I know like I've complained a lot about DFS over the last month and, you know, haven't, haven't been playing it as hard as I did this year. Coincidentally, this is the best month I've ever had in DFS, but um, definitely there's a reason to be confident this week, next week. Um with if you check out Rotodoc's model or my algorithm post or um, any of our content, we've just been on it this year. So make sure you check those out um, because, hey, we like making money and we both constantly tweet out what we actually bet. Like I said, we are some of the most transparent guys in this industry. And uh Yeah. That's that's all I have to say. I ran out, I, my my train ran out of out of steam there. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I you know I, it's there isn't a whole lot that can go into analysis in one of these because 
we have so much data that like, you know, we kind of know where these things are going to go. But uh, of the non-playoff drivers, and especially of the drivers that didn't even make the playoffs to begin with, so not just the guys who didn't make, who aren't in the final eight, but of the guys who aren't in the final 16, uh, one name, of course, that stands out to me is Austin Dillon. He's been running pretty well. Uh, Las Vegas was maybe his worst race, and that was on this tire combination, but he crushed it at Michigan on this tire combination before Keselowski uh, and him got together. I won't say Keselowski wrecked him because obviously it wasn't intentional, but I do think Keselowski shouldn't have been side-drafting that that late past the start-finish line at the end of a stage there. Um, but uh, I definitely think Austin Dillon stands out. Um, are there any other names that stand out for you that are maybe outside of the top eight and then outside of the top 16? I always, I always liked De Benedetto on these low wear tracks. He finished fourth at Kansas. He was twelfth in the second Vegas race. He's so good on restarts. He is, he is ridiculously good on restarts, which we know with this package is what it takes to, um, to get a good finish. Because once you have track position, especially if you're the leader, it's hard to get around you. So. Uh, De Benedetto would definitely stick out to me, not to win the race, but I could see him sneaking in a top eight, uh, maybe a top five. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm with you there on, um, Austin Dillon, you know, he's been strong and probably one more. I will note one guy that is going to get talked a lot this week or probably going to get talked about this week in DFS is going to be Ross Chastain because he starts 25th. He has not been good on the low wear tracks this year. He has an average running position of 24.3 and an average finish of 24.3. In the 550 horsepower package, which again is taking over 10 races, he has an average running position of 22nd and an average average finish of 24.3. Now, he so, was really good at Pocono, but he, he either screwed himself over or had some bad luck in both of those Pocono races. But but you're right, at the 550 mile and a half plus Michigan, the low wear ones especially, uh, his best finish is 14th at Kansas. So I yeah. think that's a really good call on maybe somebody to fade this weekend in DFS. And when we say fade, we just mean be underweight. You know, we're not necessarily, if, like if you're playing 10 lineups, maybe you have them in one, right? Or something like yeah. that. Or, so when we say fade, we typically relate it to underweight. I know there, there are people on Twitter who will say, you said fade. That means 0%. Uh, no, we just mean relative. Obviously, Ross Chastain has more than a 0% chance of being in the optimal lineup. Uh, the idea is, though, we think he's an interesting fade in terms of compared to the rest of the field, how much you play him in your portfolio. That's what I mean by a fade. Maybe we could say underweight, which is the most appropriate term. But very often when we say fade, we don't mean 0%. We just mean like, here's a guy we're probably fading relative to the field. And that doesn't mean yeah. 0%. It just means relative to the field. We don't like him as much. But, uh, you know, if you play 10 lineups, I wouldn't hate if you had him in one lineup because he's starting back there. And, you know, his teammate Kurt Busch is pretty good at these. Maybe he picks up something from that. You know, there's there's certainly a non-zero chance He's in the winning lineup this weekend. Yeah. And uh, one thing to consider is, like you said, it's, it's it has a lot to do with where everybody else is. If everyone's going to be on Chastain, especially in a single entry contest, it's a great time to just pivot to someone else because 
Chastain, he's just not running well at this track type or in this package this year. Plus, DraftKings salaries aren't up yet, but we have Kevin Harvick starting 24th. We have William Byron starting 12th. We have Kurt Busch starting 17th. There are place differential plays that they're going to price up. Ross Chastain could easily be the underpriced place differential play. And if that happens, yes, I'm all on board for going extremely low. So you said you like DiBenedetto and you don't like Chastain. Mm -hmm. DiBenedetto minus 115 versus Chastain as a head-to-head right now on DraftKings. I'd hit that. Yeah, I would too. Um, We'll see what my model says. Obviously, I haven't run it yet. I don't run it at this point in the week because things can come up. I like to make sure I have all the data gathered. But uh, preliminarily, I would say it's a no-brainer for DiBenedetto. I can pull up Las Vegas and see what my Las Vegas model said. Um, Vegas projection here. Smallest to largest on average finish. It had DiBenedetto ahead of Chastain for sure. So... Um, I would, I would definitely take to Benedetto over Chastain, uh, in this mm-hmm. instance. There are a couple more head to heads that I'm, I'm going to wait for other books to post their lines, uh, especially on this one, Ryan Blaney minus 140 over Logano. Um, but William Byron minus 120 over Harvick. I like that. Oh God, oh, that, that doesn't even seem like it should be close. <laughs> Right. I wonder if that's getting the you know the he didn't make the final eight treatment, but neither did Harvick. So I don't know. I mean, granted, you know Harvick doesn't have any teammates in the final eight either. So I can understand like well maybe we don't focus on on Larson as much because yada yada yada. You know, there's there's uh teammates that'll take take the attention away from him, which is always the argument. The focus go on the five and the nine, whereas. In Harvick's case, the focus will just be as as it usually is. Uh, you know, we can see him being the only Stuart Haas car alive didn't really help him this past round. So um, I think uh, I think I would crush that. Uh, I'm I'm looking up Vegas right now. Uh, Harvick, oh yeah, Byron. I mean, Byron was tops in my model for Vegas, and Harvick was sitting down there in ninth place with an average finish of eleven point six. Byron first with an average finish of 6.8. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not even close there. So yeah, I, I like that as well. But I also like to wait for more books to come out with the lines because maybe you can find Benedetto minus 110 versus Chastain instead of minus 115. I don't think, uh, I mean, uh, maybe I'm crazy, but I don't think Matt Benedetto minus 115 versus Chastain is suddenly going to move massive amounts uh, before we yeah. see some more lines. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I always wait, you know, especially... Obviously, you can't wait on top 20s because DraftKings are the only one that does it. But head-to-heads, you know, there's always completely different lines, you know. But if you did, I I like all three of those head-to-heads, the Byron over Harvick, the DeBenedetto over Chastain, the Blaney over Logano. If you parlayed them, you'd get it at plus 487. I don't mind that either. I'm a big parlay guy right now. I like parlays. Mm -hmm. But, um, But, yeah, definitely that Byron over Harvick, is is an absolute no-brainer that's that that might end up being my uh favorite bet of the week in my betting yeah article. i i um, actually am right there with you the byron over harvick is quite easily right now the best bet i see without having run the numbers and just looking at my vegas model uh because mm-hmm. it won't be too different from the texas model um you know vegas went for the most part as expected byron's not going to get punished 
in my model because he finished 18th. You know, it's going to go based off his average running position, his average green flag speed, how many laps did he have, how many fastest laps. Those are all going to factor into the model for this mile and a half. Uh, and he did really well in all those numbers at Vegas. It was the bad luck and extreme misfortune that uh, bit him there and, and the bad crew chief thing for all of Hendrick that bit him there. But uh, as far as the speed numbers, that's not going to hurt Byron in my model this weekend. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's definitely a, a great, great head to head to bet right there. I believe um, my Jordan jinx of the week is my boy in your boy, Denny Hamlin grabbed him at plus seven twenty five on points bet. Um I also, like I said, I'm going to bet Kyle Busch. I already bet Byron and then maybe do a profit boost on uh, Larson um, if it's available. Typically, they do those on Wednesdays, so it's happened every other week. I don't see why it wouldn't this week. Um, Who is your pick to win on Sunday at Texas? I'm picking Kyle Busch. I'm taking Kyle Busch to win Texas back-to-back. I know. People will say one on fuel mileage last year, but he was strong. The fastest car on long run speed, 500 mile race, average finish two point, whatever you said, 2.75 uh, in one and a half mile low wear tracks, third, 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 and a first this year, first mm-hmm. last year at Texas, fifth last year at Kansas, sixth last year in Vegas in the playoff races uh, for you know, low wear mile and a half in the playoffs. Uh, you know, he had a six fifth and a first. So uh, uh, Kyle Bush is my pick to win. That said, Larson's going to be damn hard to beat. Denny Hamlin's going to be damn hard to beat. Uh, and there could be some other drivers that figure into it. Maybe a Ryan Blaney, maybe a Chase Elliott and maybe a William Byron. But, uh, you know, I think it really comes down to those six or seven, maybe a Truex, those six or seven drivers uh, at, at for the win. And um, one quick note on Harvick versus Byron two to two this year, head to head on the low wear mile and a half in head to head. Of course, Byron with the bad luck at Las Vegas probably would have been three to one and Byron kicked Harvick's ass at Michigan. Uh, So if you include that uh, it probably would be four to one instead of two to two. So um, just, just the facts it's two to two. But I still like Byron minus 120 over Harvick as maybe one of my favorite bets of the week here, right? But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm going with Kyle Busch. What about you? I I don't want to say Larson because it's just obvious. Um, I, I do. Th- I think it's going to be Denny Hamlin again. I, God, I'm hating these playoffs and how these are turning out. I am. It's. I think Denny Hamlin's going to win. I still think Denny Hamlin's going to win this championship. And, and nothing has swayed me to say that he isn't. And will, oh. will I be saying Denny Hamlin's won four of the seven playoff races? Stop it. <laughs> Stop. <sighs> this is my nightmare. Obviously, my nightmare. only three as a driver, but he's got that one as an owner as well. This is my nightmare. If, if he wins Texas. So, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that's uh, I don't have anything else to add for Texas. I think I think we're good there. Yeah. So. You got anything overall to add, or we're going to wrap this thing up? Uh, I think we're going to wrap this up. We gave our playoff picks. We gave our bet to win, or pick to win, I should say. We gave some of our favorite bets. We reviewed uh, Charlotte, and we previewed this race. So I think we're good. I mean, I don't think we need to run down full field, this driver, that driver, everything, Um, because we kind of know. I mean, we got so much data on these mile and a half. We kind of know. So uh, make sure you 
Tune in to all of our content. Jordan will always be tweeting his stuff out. Of course, my model over at Fantasy Labs, and I like to tweet out my bets. Uh, I'll be around this this weekend to make my bets and everything. Um, this past weekend, I was hanging out with my mom, first time seeing her in almost two years. Uh, nice. So, yeah, it was, it was exciting. We watched the race together and everything, so that was a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So, good luck in DFS, or if you're just betting, good luck. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week when we're talking about Kansas. Thank <laughs> you.